Hello and welcome back to Love at First Screening, the show where I, rom-com enthusiast Madison, introduce my friend, co-host, and resident genre skeptic Chelsea. That's me. To all the feel-good, cliche, romantic, questionable, hilarious, occasionally humorous films she's never wanted to watch. Well, Chelsea, so far we are 0 for 3 for the rom-coms up to this point this season. We haven't watched a single rom-com yet. It's true. Did we watch one this week? TBD. Who knows? But before we get to that, before we get to what we're watching this week, Chelsea, I would like to know, what is your uh, musical obsession this week? This is mostly me just wanting to talk about mine. Well, Madison, last week you recommended $20 by Boy Genius. Mm -hmm. And boy, howdy, I've listened to it several times. I was listening to it in the car on my drive back home tonight. That's awesome. Oh my gosh, I feel like I've just impacted your life so much. I mean, you impacted my life between Monday and Thursday of this week. I think that's perfect. That's the only time I actually want allotted to me sort of like a custody schedule like I can have your musical brain Monday through Thursday alternating weeks what is your musical obsession oh my god thank you so much for asking I god I didn't even have anything prepared what am I gonna talk about one I'm like psyched in a really unhinged way about Daisy Jones and the Six coming out soon to Prime Video and they released like a little teaser track uh for Regret Me which regrettably does not match the lyrics that uh, Taylor Jenkins Reid originally wrote and included in the book because the original lyrics are like really biting this is not as good but the tune is damn catchy so I've been listening to that a lot but more than that I've just been listening to a lot of Lizzie McAlpine I really like Lizzie McAlpine you'd be a fool not to Yep. Yeah, no, I am. Ceilings. Pancakes for dinner. Exactly. Apple pie. Reckless driving. (laughs) I've been binging uh, Doomsday. Just Mm, over and over. Yeah, I like that one. What does that say about my mental health? Probably nothing positive. No, no. Although I do love the line, um, pull the plug in, what is it? Pull the plug in November. I don't want to mm-hmm. die in June. Yeah. Um, because the, that line p- points to the um, idea of like you're born in the month that you left in your previous life that you died in. And I also wouldn't want to be a Gemini. So. <laughs> <laughs> Pourquoi? I don't know anything about astrology. Look, All I, I know is that anytime I see something because I'm an Aries. And I know it's more complicated, but anytime I see something that says Aries, I'm like, mm, that's that's not me. That's the most quintessentially Aries thing I've ever heard about you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that is. You know, speaking of not knowing anything about astrology, uh, your favorite TikToker and my younger sister made a TikTok that was one of those stitches where the original person asked, what's something that you don't know anything about, but you're too afraid to ask? And she was like, astrology. And it's very funny, the whole little little clips that she does. So, hey, Marissa. Marissa, you're my favorite TikToker. That's incredible. 
No, I just, I used to bully my uh, co-worker Dana because she was a June Gemini. And I'm like, I can tolerate a May Gemini. That's fine. But a June Gemini? No, no. We're going to throw down. We're going to fight. There's going to be hands thrown. Is it because my worst breakup was with a June Gemini? No, it's because they're all trash. And I'm not sorry to anyone listening. Wow. Well, I was a little nervous at first because your new favorite park ranger is a Gemini, but they are a May Gemini. So obviously they're a May Gemini. Otherwise we wouldn't vibe. (laughs) May's a good month. May's a good month. You also have Tauruses in May. I love me. Well, I like Tauruses that aren't men. Actually, there's a running theme of like, basically I could go... Ugh, a Libra man. Or ugh, a Leo man. Or ugh, a Gemini, Pisces, Cancer man. Ugh. Any Virgos. I'm sorry, Virgos. I I honestly, it feels like you're speaking a foreign language. I have absolutely (laughs) no idea what any of this is supposed to mean. No, that's the best part is that it means nothing at all. But I don't even know what it fake means. It's like you're speaking to me in Elvish or... (laughs) Klingon or something (laughs) there is a meaning but also it's completely made up yeah and it's frustrating because I wish I was in on it because I love things that are made up I would love to participate but I just don't know how it works so therefore I just nod when people talk about astrology I'll give you a crash course you want it yeah fire signs I fuck with those water signs really iffy earth signs half and half air signs like one third i'm not gonna divulge which third (laughs) speaking of air signs my friend texted into our group chat our my high school friends about this person we used to go to school with the original joke doesn't matter for the purposes of the story but then I tried to say no of course that's not this person that person is at sea and I like to remind myself of that whenever I think I see this person in public even though even if this person was on land we don't live in the same state we're not registered to vote in the same area you know what I mean but I said this and my friends are like no they're not Chelsea they are back they're doing this and I was like I'm not safe anymore. They've returned to land. (laughs) I'm terrified. Uh, (laughs) The truth is this person was just super arrogant and condescending and epic asshole in my theater department in high school. And I just feel like I've seen enough of them for three lifetimes. So I don't want to see them anymore. It is my sincerest hope that they have matured and grown because I haven't seen them since high school. But Because I haven't seen them since high school, they will forever be that asshole to me. So the thought of seeing them in the wild is truly terrifying. I just don't want it to happen. I don't want to have to make small talk with that person. And I'd prefer they return to sea. Oh my God. Do you think that we should just send anyone that we don't like to sea? Yes. I think that's a great idea. We're going to need a bigger boat. That's a Jaws line for you. Alive from Jaws. Because <laughs> this is a movie podcast. It it is. I forget that sometimes, but you're you're right. Yeah. And speaking of movies, 
good at segues. Oh my god. Speaking of movies, we watched one uh, to talk about today. It was a listener request, and I think that listener uh, really just wanted us to watch this movie because they liked it and not anything else to do (laughs) with any of our setup. But we'll get into that. So this week we watched Lady of the Manor, which came out in 2021. And it's like oddly stacked with, I would say, like A minus B celebrities. But it has Melanie Linsky as Hannah, uh, Judy Greer as Lady Wadsworth, Justin Long as Max, and Ryan Philippi as Tanner. Those are like the core four characters that you probably deal with the most throughout the plot. I just want to read to you really quick the IMDb description of this movie before I actually give my own rundown of what happens in this movie. A flatulent, aimless, 'er ne'er-do-well becomes a tour guide in a historic estate and winds up befriending the manor's resident ghost. Sign me up. I never want to be called a flatulent, aimless 'er ne'er-do-well, though. I might be, but that's just like, you don't say that out loud. (laughs) oh god who does imdb is that crowdsourced like wikipedia is like it's everybody's contributing because the description on amazon prime which is where you currently can find this movie is something like the ghost of a southern bell teaches a slacker how to be a lady or something along those lines yeah exactly it's just, it's something. It, it really is. Despite meaning something very gross, flatulent is kind of a pleasant word to say. I know. It's it's one of those that's like, huh, that doesn't sound terrible. And then you're like, oh, maybe it is once you actually figure out what it is. But I had to pull up Rotten Tomatoes because I feel like movies like this never fare well. I mean, it had like a 5.3 out of 10 on IMDb, which means you know that it got hit a lot harder on Rotten Tomatoes. And this scored a 28% on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't usually mention uh, movie ratings, but I felt like this one just had to be featured. If you didn't mention it, I was going to bring it up later. So Yeah, okay. <laughs> Um, But for anyone who, for some reason, didn't watch this amazing uh, film that will be categorized and marked down in history as one of the greatest of all time, this movie is about Hannah, a stoner slacker, played by Melanie Linsky. It starts out with Melanie Linsky's character getting stoned and her job is that i mean she's a drug mule basically she's a drug delivery woman she doesn't make the deals she just delivers the drugs and she's going to deliver pot and edibles and gets the streets mixed up and so she's on like jackson avenue versus jackson road and walks in on what ends up being a sting for like sexual predators and there's a child actor licking a really weird large lollipop and she's like are your parents home do you have any siblings and he's like i don't are you trying to check and see if i'm alone and she goes no i mean yeah i 
and then she gets arrested for soliciting a minor and then uh since she has pot and edibles on her also gets arrested for intent to distribute narcotics to a minor and then she's jailed her boyfriend breaks up with her she gets the rest of the charges dropped on the basis that she registers as a sex offender and then she's sad at a bar Ryan Philippi has been told that he has to now manage his family's historical estate, the Wadsworth Manor, and he hit on the reenactor earlier that day. She rejected him. He fired her, so now he's out a reenactor. He stumbles across a very drunk uh, Melanie Linsky and hires her. And then she befriends the ghost of the manor of the woman that she's impersonating. And the ghost tries to teach her how to be a lady. And then they uncover that the ghost's husband pushed her down a flight of stairs, killing her and then forged her will to keep the estate in his family rather than giving it to her best friend, the Pipkins. And so she uncovers all of this. The Pipkins get the house, the manor, and the ghost, played by Judy Greer, goes into the light. She ends up with a professor, played by Justin Long, which was just weird. Ryan Phillippe fucks off into whatever. And then at the very end, she gets arrested for not actually registering within the 30-day period that she should have. Did that cover everything? Because this was like a fever dream of a movie. Yep. Yep. That covered everything. Okay. I think I went into a trance there when I was describing all of this. So I wanted to make sure I didn't leave out any high points. Get it? High points because Mm -hmm. she's like baked the whole movie. Correct. Thank you. So Chelsea, we both had not seen this before. So I think that we should both guess if each other enjoyed the movie. I don't know that this is totally fair because I've just listened to you describe this movie. And I feel like to a certain extent (laughs) that tells me your feelings. (laughs) I think it. you thought it was weird. You thought, you literally just said, felt like a fever dream. I think you thought it was all right. I don't yeah. think you thought it was anything special, but I'm sure you laughed at a handful of things. And oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a good, bad movie, but we'll get into that. I think that you were probably like, what the fuck are we watching for uh, several different reasons? I don't know how crude of humor you enjoy because this was like this not was not only like just generally crude but it was like a bunch of fart jokes and shit I don't really think that's your get I think like the fart joke buddy movies aren't exactly your cup of tea I don't think that you'd like hated it or was like oh my god I've lost hours of my life to this but I honestly don't know so (laughs) We are in a territory I honestly thought we'd never get to in that I think I enjoyed this movie more than you did. (laughs) This movie is by no means groundbreaking, earth shattering. I don't think it's the best comedy I've ever seen, but I walked in completely blind and I had a great time. I'm glad you had a great time. I was like, I don't know Chelsea's, I don't don't know what Chelsea's read on this is going to be. And I will say when you Google it, the uh like people also search for under the movies includes Fido, which is a great zombie for anyone who likes zombie comedies. Basically, like they have these little collars that go around the zombies' necks and make sure that they don't eat people and they treat them like butlers, basically. 
they're just enslaved zombies. Um, which I guess is more technically like the OG, you know, hoodoo zombies. So shout out to them for really going to the original source matter. But yeah, so this was a really campy kind of movie. And I will say, though, right out the gate, I liked that it was a woman buddy comedy. Because I think if this had been reversed and you had like a, like a Will Ferrell, Owen Wilson, what's the other one that jumps into these kind of buddy movies? Um, I can see his face. You said Owen Wilson, so I want to say Vince Vaughn because they go That's together it. all the time. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, if it had been, you know, Will Ferrell, Vince Vaughn, Owen Wilson type shit, I would have hated this movie. I honestly think, though, if this had been a male buddy comedy, I wonder, even if they changed really nothing else about it, the same sort of concept just make it about men instead of these two women. I wonder if it would have done slightly better. I, oh, I, yeah. I'm always a little skeptical when it comes to these sorts of things, whether you want to admit it or not, which we, we will, we'll call it out. Women always face more scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Any minority has faces more scrutiny You can't just have a good time making a silly comedy. It has to be an Oscar winner. Otherwise, everyone hates it. (laughs) But they'll also resent you if you do win an Oscar. So really, there's no winning. I know. This is the type of thing. I also feel like if it had... I mean, I feel like Melanie Linsky is a pretty classic, funny woman. I actually think that she's basically like the other side of a coin of Megan Mullally, in my opinion. But I feel like if you had more well-known, like, stereotyped funny women in it, like um, Melissa McCarthy. If Melissa McCarthy or someone like that had been in this and just slightly elevated, this would have done a lot better. Hmm. Not because her performance would have been better, but because she's more stereotypically, like, the funny woman. But no, I think that if this had been, like, a true, like, male buddy movie, it probably would have gotten much higher. My first thought is, what the fuck was that sting operation? (laughs) When she opens the door and there's this kid standing there, he definitely looks young. But I was also like, he looks too old to be holding this comedically large lollipop. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, she is high, so maybe this is some kind of drug-induced haze. Yeah. And then I really didn't expect her to get arrested. That truly caught me by surprise. I just thought that a parent or somebody else was supposed going to walk into the room and... Be like, why are you selling drugs to my child? Yeah, that kind of a thing. And then all of a sudden... She's being arrested. And actually, I was super confused at first because they're like, you're soliciting a minor. And I was like, no, she's not. She's there to deliver drugs. And also, like, what what evidence do you have that she was there to have sex with this child? Um, (laughs) What I did catch later was there was a man, clearly a pedophile outside of the house, but... I feel like I was so confused that I almost missed that uh, detail. Yeah, no, that was... Because I thought at first, like, maybe they were... 
they were like trying to bust whoever was giving her the pot to distribute. And I thought they were going to be like, tell us your, you know, boss's name and you can walk or whatever, like narc on him. Then I expected her to just go, oh yeah, fuck here. Because, you know, um, but no, I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Also, like, I know, I know that it's obviously not reality because there's like ghosts and shit and it's a silly camp buddy movie, but they would have like a whole paper trail of like setting up this meeting. And so you would be able to like track IP addresses and shit like that. It's yeah. Yeah. I was very much like, what, what is this? What is this sting operation? And then, then I said, you know what? But I, I genuinely think that it sets the tone for the movie in that a lot of what you're going to be saying, it's just ridiculous. It's just supposed to be ridiculous. It's not supposed to, this movie is not taking itself seriously. Oh God, no. Not in any, not in any way possible. Not a single one. But I did really enjoy, so her boyfriend breaks up with her. She has to register as a sex ed offender and she's at the bar and she's talking to the bartender and she's like, blitzed and she goes do you know how difficult it is to register your car at the dmv like how, no, how she di- said the dmz <laughs> <laughs> like it's fucking north korea <laughs> and then she's she's like how difficult must it be to register as a sex offender and i lost it i I, I had to pause the movie because i was laughing so hard <laughs> and then she's like I honestly, like, I hope that it's harder. Like, it shouldn't be easy to register as a sex offender. Oh, my God. And then and then Ryan Phillippe's character walks up to her and was like, she's like, oh, I don't actually know what it's like to be a sex offender. I was just. Well, okay, so this is the other thing that I find really funny. Ryan Phillippe is almost 50. Yeah. And. In the first scene that you get with him and his parents, it's his dad telling him, I'm running for mayor of Savannah. You need to step up with this historical house that we run and manage. And he's like, I'm really busy, dad. We're developing an app, blah, blah, blah. And so he comes across as if he's in his late 20s, like he's left college, but he doesn't necessarily have a career understandably because he's a wealthy privileged white man but a white I, man no <laughs> but he comes across as like nothing in here suggests an almost 50 year old man and i understand he is supposed to read so much younger and so this compared with the scene where she gets arrested for soliciting a minor made me just think that genuinely Melanie Linsky feels older than he is, but I don't think that that's actually the case. I don't know. I just thought it was really strange because she makes a comment to him that if that kid today had looked like you, Uh like I would have gone for it. And (laughs) she doesn't say that, but that's the implication. And all I could think was, In both of these instances, because in the sting operation, that actor is not a minor. And here we have a guy that is, the actor is 
50, but clearly playing someone so much younger than he's supposed to be. And I don't know. I just thought it was really funny. I don't think it was intentional, but. No. Oh, my God. And it was just. I don't know the whole the whole scene with <laughs> when she's giving her first tour and she's fucking it up six ways to Sunday because she has no idea what she's talking about or what she's doing and she's cursing and it's horrible and Justin Long is like what the fuck is going on and she's like who are you to be correcting me he's like I'm literally a history phd and i'm literally the head of like the savannah preservation society i don't <laughs> and she's like oh so you do actually know what you're talking about and then she goes to him and it's like you're a do- this is my favorite part she goes you're a doctor do you know anyone who can perform an exorcism <laughs> like how do those two things go together but then she's like but i need a not an old, weak priest. I need a hot, young, athletic priest. So, Madison, she needs Father Peter from Dairy Girls. That's who she's asking for. That's who needs to perform this exorcism. I don't know. Is he is he off with the hairdresser? Or is he He might be. Person? I don't know. I don't know. We can, we He's can have, fickle, uh, that one. We can have hot priest from Fleabag back him up if he's like out of rotation we we have options for hot young athletic priests why do they we do have, exist why do we have so many options for hot priests i don't know i think maybe the catholic church is really Horny. trying to oh <laughs> <laughs> i have to go to confession for that oh lord Oh yeah, my God. Lord. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you would think you would think that I had drank too many. <laughs> the drink of the day, which per the movie is a mint julep. I'm not going to tell you how to make it. Just Google it. I don't drink those. I don't like mint. Uh, you don't like mint? Not in my drinks. I like like mint gum, mint toothpaste. But, like, I'm out on mint, minty drinks, um, minty, uh, like, I don't like mint chocolate chip ice cream. So, like, you don't like mojitos? No, I don't like mojitos. You don't like, there's other drinks that aren't, mint isn't the prominent flavor, but it's in the drink. You don't like those? Mm. Clearly, I don't drink that often, because that was the only drink I could come up with that had mint in it. <laughs> I know I've had other drinks that have mint. Oh, mule! I love. Do you, you don't like Moscow mules? You don't like mules? I, I feel like, like those have mint in them sometimes. Um, usually it's like a garnish, but I drink gin mules. I like a good gin mule. That's an English mule for anyone okay. at home who thinks. Oh. Okay. Although I did decide. I now uh, understand why it's called a Moscow mule. I was just like, vodka. I don't understand. Yeah, 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 because it's vodka. <laughs> um. No, I I did, however, uh, in watch, while watching this movie, I did make myself a beverageino. I made myself a bee's knees, which is gin and lemon and honey syrup. It was very nice. Good. Yeah, it felt like something you would drink on like a Savannah wraparound porch. Mm-hmm. So. Very appropriate, very appropriate. Thank you. So that's your alternative. If you don't like mint, like me, just make yourself a bee's knees. 
perhaps another offering for the drinking game when they listen to our podcast is uh, when I bring up Breath of the Wild. Hannah is asking Nia about her great, 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 great grandmother because her name is Jessamine Zelda Pipkin and she sews the her initials into all the clothing and eventually that's what gets them to believe that this house actually belongs to Nia and her brother as the descendants of this woman. And Hannah goes, she wasn't by chance named after the actual legend of Zelda, was she? (laughs) (laughs) And I started laughing, not just because that would have gotten me to laugh anyway, but when I started playing Breath of the Wild, it was just my entire personality. I was just eating, breathing, sleeping, Breath of the Wild, everything. I saw a photo of an actual mountain and I'm like, oh, that's like the mountains in Breath of the Wild. What? <laughs> everything reminded me of it. And I was working at Barnes and Noble at the time. And I went into the break room and there was this older woman who, honestly, icon. I want to grow up to be this woman. She was incredible. But she was leaving and I was going on my lunch break. I was like, oh, how's it going? She's like, I'm really excited. I got my Zelda book. And I got so excited because (laughs) not only is someone giving me an excuse to talk about Breath of the Wild, but I'm also like, this woman has gotten so much cooler. And I was like, the legend of Zelda? Oh my God, I, I wouldn't even think you're into that. And she's looking at me blank stare, clearly un- not understanding what I'm talking about. And she goes, it's a book about Zelda Fitzgerald? <laughs> and I was like, oh, that makes sense. Um What I will hand this woman is that after this little mix-up, she also thought this was very funny. And I came in to work every day when she was there and I would show her the pictures of the different things you have to fight in the game. And I would tell her how I was doing on my quests. And she genuinely listened and she would ask me questions. And a couple of the names of things, she's like, oh, that would make a really cute cat name. This woman is an icon. I hope she's doing well. You know what? I will uh, play Breath of the Wild if I can convince someone to buy it for me on Nintendo Switch. So that energy has been put out there. We'll crowdfund it. (laughs) And then I can just give updates on how I'm doing with Breath of the Wild. Because apparently no one wants to hear about how I'm doing in Stardew. That's fine. Well, that's because, Madison, Breath of the Wild 2 is coming out in May. And I have been waiting so fucking long. (laughs) We're finally given an actual date. I am just counting down the days. I care about nothing else that's happening this year. Yeah, this episode's going to come out after my friend's wedding. So I care about nothing else that's happening. <laughs> just kidding. Just oh kidding. My God, I love that. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like, uh, yeah, after the nuptials. Then I'll, you know, I have to care about that because I'm legally obligated to but after that fuck everything it's Zelda time (laughs) no one wants to know that I finished the community center by summer of my second year I feel like that's pretty momentous congratulations Madison but yeah really cool that they incorporated Legend of Zelda into this movie just for you I actually called them up and I was like hey besties can we have a running Legend of Zelda joke I love it I love it I know. I didn't know about it until very recently, but I time traveled for you. Actually, if you've ever read um, 
oh, which one is it? Landline by uh, Rainbow Rowell. She has, uh, the plot in it is a, a, this woman has a failing marriage and there's this phone where she can talk to like her husband of the past when they were first falling in love with one another. And she kind of like falls back in love with her husband by talking to the version of him that she originally fell in love with. So that's what I did. I just used that phone, just called them up and was like, hey, I think this would be funny. And it worked. Can I just say, where do I get a job where I can get paid to dress up and basically LARP all day and also live on the premises? Like I get free housing? Where do I sign up for this job? I know. That's what I want to know, too. Like, this seems like a great fucking job. Would I want to wear a corset or petticoats all day? No. That sounds really confining. I can barely handle a bra. But, you know, I think it might be worth it, especially for the free accommodations. Well, let's see. What's uh, what's what's historical around me? What's historical around you that we could kind of have a meeting point? And then we could force our way into employment. Like, we just show up in character, really knowledgeable about the location, and they're like, what the fuck's going on? And we just start guiding tours. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's sort of like a Blitzkrieg tour guiding. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, we should definitely do it. The question is, though, um, how historically accurate do we have to be? If we use this movie as our guide, not at all. Oh, perfect. Okay, no, then I'm good. I'm good. I I'm, I just get kind of nervous when I have to, like, I have to speak in a planned manner. I'm great at extemporaneous, but if I have to stick to a script, I'm a little, hmm, I get, I get nervous. I forget everything. My throat closes up. I actually go into anaphylaxis. Do you carry an EpiPen on you by chance for when we do this? I, I could. I, I can run to the drugstore and get one. That's so nice. I really appreciate that. Well, I appreciate that you called someone and had them put a joke in a movie that you didn't know existed until very recently. Yeah, until very recently. But we have to talk about Judy Greer as the ghost. One thing that I love is how her accent was just so half-assed and kept slipping. I loved that. Because Judy Greer is clearly not someone who naturally has that, like, Southern Savannah accent. And I love that half the time she didn't try. Yeah. There are ones where she's straight up, it's just her. Yeah. There's no Southern accent anymore. My favorite thing was the, it's at the very end of the film, the montage of silly faces that she's doing in the mirror. But I love that she's delighting herself. Mm-hmm. And this is this is what I'm trying to say. I like to say that I tell jokes for an audience of one, that audience being myself. Mm-hmm. But I think if you can make yourself laugh, then you don't need any other people. And I'm not trying to say you should isolate yourself, but I'm just saying <laughs> that if you can amuse yourself, I think it's a good thing. And she is genuinely finding joy in these silly faces she's making in the mirror and it tickles me. I think when people find joy in themselves, when people laugh at their own jokes, it's so endearing. I loved it. Oh, my favorite jokes are the ones where the person telling them can hardly tell it because they're laughing so hard themselves. I love that. 
That's incredible. And that's the type of people you need in your life. Basically, um, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by self-pleasure. Make yourself laugh. This is one of the longest silences. <laughs> I was about to say, I want to keep this entire silence in the episode just so they can understand the intensity of, like, me looking at you and you looking at me like, did you really just me being like, yeah, I really did. And just waiting it would crack. Uh, what I think is kind of nice about this movie is obviously – as I said before, this is not a groundbreaking comedy by any means. However, I wouldn't have expected their relationship, their interactions to go quite the way that they did. I think you could have had a ghost that was very stuffy and rigid and unmoving in a different way. Like she clearly didn't approve of Melanie. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, <laughs> she didn't approve yeah. of Hannah. Sorry. But I don't know. There's just something about the way that she has these conversations with her that I found interesting. I definitely think this movie in another set of hands would have used an old just post Civil War. So definitely Reconstruction era ghost to make every single kind of terrible joke they shouldn't be making and this film didn't do that and i also know that in that they would try and play it off as we're supposed to laugh at the ghost for being super racist but instead she was just like you're a lady and your language is not it was more about etiquette and i don't know it's just it was just like it allowed it to actually be silly and i didn't have to sit there and be annoyed Hmm. Yeah, I think that one. Th- it was um. So I didn't say this at the top. It was written and uh, directed both by uh, Justin Long and his brother Christian Long. But I completely agree, and that's something that really bothers me because a lot of people get irritated and they're like, you know, get off your high horse when people like us, for instance, may critique a movie that was created in an earlier time than now and we're like oh that's problematic because we talk a lot about in our corrections the way we pose it is if we were making this now this is what we would change um we never say it in a way that's like they should have done this because it's just society film what have you wasn't at the point to consider things like that at that juncture but I'm really glad that they didn't go the route that you were talking about and just be like, oh, it was of a different time. Because just because you have a character, sometimes allowing them to act in a potentially anachronistic way to not be an asshole according to modern standards is better. Is It's okay. It's always the better option. You know, unless you are trying to paint that character as an asshole in this lens it wouldn't work because it's a comedy movie it's meant to be funny so i am so glad that they opted to not do that i'm so glad and i'm glad you pointed that out yeah like i said not a perfect movie but i was thinking about it and there's definitely a version of this film where 
I feel like they almost use it as a a scapegoat to be able to make the jokes that the creators want to make because they themselves are racist, homophobic, xenophobic, all of the isms, all of the phobias. And they're like, well, if I have this ghost, of course this ghost is going to be racist. But instead, this film found another point of conflict between the two people that are separated by almost 200 years and it was fun. It was just a fun, silly time. And I love that she, I mean, she, Judy Greer playing Lady Wadsworth, she basically just approached Melanie Linsky's character like she was a naughty child. Like the multi, there were so many scenes of Hannah with a bar of soap in her mouth. That one scene where she actually like bites off a piece of it and chews it like thoughtfully, like, huh, you know, this dial shit ain't so bad. Like that kind of look that was hilarious i love the buddy style movies like this where they end up balancing each other really well you have judy greer making silly faces and flatulating at the end and you have melanie linsky sobering up a bit and actually uncovering this huge historical secret it honestly gave me princess diaries vibes hmm yeah. Is that just because that's my favorite version of My Fair Lady? Perhaps. I was going to say to the the end of the specific type of humor, there are a lot of fart jokes. But you know what? In this context, I didn't roll my eyes at them the way I might have in a different film. And I think that's because it's not a fart joke to be a fart joke. It's a fart joke because it's more poking fun at the ridiculousness of our insistence on removing ourselves from natural bodily functions as if we can regulate (laughs) these things the way we can regulate our thoughts the way we can regulate other things uh and so also when she tells her well you have to excuse yourself to another room and then she doesn't (laughs) look and she goes into marcus's room and just lets one rip and he is sitting there on the bed and he's like did you just come in here to fart (laughs) like she's never been in his room before and he's like you just left your room and came into my room (laughs) to fart (laughs) we're trying to play it off it's like no that was definitely the floorboards oh oh now now here's the smell i understand what you're talking about now so weird and then she does it again <laughs> when she's leaving justin long's office God, that really tickles my giggle dick i guess holy shit and like what makes that even funnier is that she wouldn't have been in a situation where the fart would have been a big deal if she had just no. stayed put that's the irony and that's what makes it funny that's what makes it funny if she had stayed where she was the act of her passing gas would not have been the weird thing that it turns into this that's honestly it becomes rude because she she left where she was to go fart somewhere in someone else's presence so you know what look say what you will about fart jokes but in this context i found these actually humorous i wasn't rolling my eyes at them it wasn't a cheap joke i i genuinely think that 
how it was presented was pretty good. Oh my god, this podcast is brought to you by uh, well-created and produced fart jokes. Okay, let's talk about Tanner some more. Okay, yes. Obviously, this film is making fun of him. He is terrible, but also ridiculous. He's a child with power. And aren't all white men in government or wealthy? (laughs) Aren't they just children with power? (laughs) Did you know that this was actually a documentary about uh, Matt Gates? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was oh um it was shot in florida mm. it was, yeah it's set in savannah which is actually great for filming like i've seen so many use so many uh movies use it as a filming location especially now because georgia's really hot on the movie scene well on and off it depends on what georgia has done and what's being boycotted at that moment and they filmed it in tampa so that's a fun fact for you. But no, I think my favorite part about Tanner's character is, and I'm not trying to sound rude when I say this, but Melanie Linsky's character, the character of Hannah, is specifically portrayed as a hot mess with an emphasis on the mess part. And so the fact that he just like picks her up at a bar, moves her into his family's manor, gives her this job randomly, and tries multiple times to sleep with her to no avail. It made no sense to me because if he's a trust fund kid with a shit ton of money, not to be grotesque or anything like that, but Savannah is full of like sorority girls constantly partying. So why did he pick up Melanie Linsky in the bar? I mean, I think he was drunk, but I also think that it's more about power and he's literally putting this woman in his family's home, giving her a job, giving her a place to live. Yeah. In a different film with a much different tone, this is the recipe for an abusive situation. Yeah. Obviously, this is a comedy and it all happens very quickly and it's ridiculous in this particular case. But she was flirting with him. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have an affair with the woman who I met in a bar and needs it. like it, it, it's honestly it's just opportunity, I think. Yeah. And I can see your point. But also, why is he then not at a bar or at an establishment with sorority girls? Yeah. There's you know what so I mean? on River Street alone. <laughs> so, no. Oh, this man will not be deterred. He, after their first date, uh, oh, they get yeah. out of the car and she's like, you're such a great drunk driver. They're both hammered. And then... He's like, you kiss like a horse, but like he's <laughs> excited about it. And a what? How do how do horses kiss? I I don't understand. Yeah, he was just like mauling her, basically. Ugh. And then when the ghost Judy Grew's character, Lady Wadsworth, is there, and she's trying to get them to stop, you know this sinful 
act. Hannah says that she has diarrhea. And and sh- surely that would deter anyone from proceeding. It's so gross. But instead he says, well, we'll just cross that bridge when we get there. Because he fully intends to still have sex with her. And I'm like... This is the grossest human being that I've ever witnessed. And then there's a wraparound back to it after uh, after Melanie Linsky got arrested for trespassing because after she got fired, she went back to find the original will, um, which is the actual like underplot of the movie is finding out why judy greer's ghost is still there and it turns out because her will was not followed it the other was forged to keep the manor in her husband's family rather than uh leaving it to her best friend the pipkins who's nia and marcus's ancestors but she gets arrested for trespassing and she's sitting in the cell and she's fed up with Judy Greer telling her to be a lady and act proper because she cursed or something. And she goes, and women say shit and fuck and fart. And women do shit and fart and fuck. And she goes, all at the same time. <laughs> and she goes, welcome to the 20th century. And the ghost cracks her Yeah, no, that was really, really good. Yeah, it was just a beautiful callback to the disgusting character that is Ryan Phillippe. So, Chelsea, I feel like we actually have to go into the rom-com criteria before we do fixes for this one. Because we're a very professional podcast, we have criteria for what we consider a romantic comedy, which is what we attempt to evaluate if we're ever going to watch one again. So the first is, do they date? Are there moments in which the audience sees the connection between the romantic pairing or pairings deepen, either, you know, through flirtation, dates, what have you. Then, did we laugh? Were we meant to laugh? Are there setups for physical comedy? Uh, Was the humor intentional, even if it's not successful? This was very successful comedy. And is love in the driver's seat? Is the romance propelling the plot forward? Madison, (laughs) this gets a check for comedy, but I don't think anyone can say that it gets a check for dating or for love in the driver's seat. No, this is not a romantic comedy. And I would like to take this opportunity to say that we are four episodes into our second season and have not watched one single romantic comedy. And I feel as if my plan is working intentionally or not because i'd like to remind everyone that i don't pick any of these movies no you don't um i think that the next one i will cross that bridge when we get there (laughs) just to quote tanner (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe i have been making some shitty choices To be fair, this is not my choice. This is this is specifically requested that we watch it. So technically, there is sort of a romantic pairing in that uh, Melanie Linsky's character and Justin Long's character, the professor and the main character, they date sort of 
they flirt sort of I mean, they're meant to be the romantic pairing, but the movie's not about them at all. It's sort no. of just like a, a byproduct of her doing this search, this, you know, trying to solve this mystery because this ghost won't leave her alone. I mean, to call this a romantic comedy would be to say that Thor is a romantic comedy. Is Thor not? No. Well, then I'm going to have to change season three. <laughs> like, just because romance exists within a comedy does not make it a romantic comedy. The yeah. reason this is okay. This is my clinical analysis of romantic comedies. Romance is at the head of the genre. Romantic comedy being a subgenre of just comedy. That's like the umbrella category, right? romance has to be at the forefront. Otherwise, it would be a different kind of comedy. You can have romance within a story, but if romance isn't leading the story, then it's not at the forefront. So you can't call it a romantic comedy. And so for this reason, I think that I like our criteria. I think we've honed it. But I also think that we should... We could introduce other questions because this is the fourth film of the ones we've watched this season. I think the the one that started the season, uh, the wedding date, is probably closest to a romantic comedy. Yeah. So I think we can ask a question for an honorable mention, which is, does it feel like a romantic comedy? When you think of this movie, would you put it with other rom-coms for XYZ reason? Or rather... Is it a rom-com? Is it not a rom-com? Or is it rom-com adjacent? And I think that there are films we have watched that we have determined based on our criteria are not rom-coms. However, I would say that we could classify them as rom-com adjacent. They feel like rom-coms. They share enough in common with romantic comedies that I don't think if you gave a person a list of romantic comedies and those were on there, I don't think anyone would be mad about them being on there. So I think we could take the time to say that some of the films we determine are not actually romantic comedies, mostly I think in, in every case because romance is not the driving force of the plot. We could take the time to at least say that they are adjacent to romantic comedies or that they feel like romantic comedies, despite not actually being romantic comedies. Yeah, because I would say, too, um, you can also kind of just go off. You can Google it and Google would, you know, like Wikipedia, for instance, would classify because I just looked it up. Google classifies the wedding date as a romantic comedy. It classifies Clueless actually two ways. Um, one is romance slash comedy. But in the Wikipedia, like, first line, they describe it as a coming-of-age movie. Roman Holiday is categorized as a romantic comedy if you look it up. This one is not. I would like to say, for the record, we classify things as a way to help us better approach a daunting set of information. So genres are a way for us to determine what we should expect from a film, but I don't think that genres should define or limit what that film is or what that film does. 
Similarly, I think genres in a lot of ways are marketing tools. Oh, yeah. They need to know who the audience for this movie is. I think this is a good time to talk about the fact that at the start of this episode, we said this film did not do well, both among critics and viewers. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because you and I have sat here. I think I, I don't know, I think perhaps maybe enjoyed this film more than you did. We can talk about that when we get to watchability, but- I read, I don't know if you read the reviews of critics, but I did. I was curious what people thought about this because I had never heard of this movie. Yeah. And it wasn't that long ago. So I was curious to see what other people said about it. Here's the thing. Every single review basically said the same thing. It's just that some people viewed that as a positive or like it's fine. And some people wanted to punish this film for it. And I think ultimately what it boils down to is this film isn't groundbreaking. It's not doing anything new. It's a buddy comedy about a ghost and a hot mess of a woman. The concept was funny enough. And I think that the it made a successful jokes along the way. Yeah. This is not a film that I'm going to tell you, oh my God, if you don't see it, you're missing out on something truly spectacular. But... I think it's fun to watch. And that being said, there were critics that basically said they acknowledge that the cast is stacked. That these are talented individuals, people that really know what they're doing and are great performers. But then of the script, they would say that the writing was sloppy. The execution wasn't very good. It was a good concept, but it didn't follow through. But then there were people on the other side that said, yeah, this film's not groundbreaking but it'll make you laugh like it was a good time. But both of those people on either end of the spectrum are essentially saying the same thing. It's just that one group seems to be holding it against this movie that it isn't innovative. But newsflash, few movies can be. And yeah. for the record, the films that truly are innovative, we don't often recognize genius when it is happening in 20 years from now, we'll look back at some of these comedies or dramas that have come out. I don't think this will be one of them, but other ones, <laughs> other can yeah. other it's a, it's contemporaries. We'll look at and we'll be like, wow, this film did something that no other film has done because it takes us time. We like predictability. Yeah. Humans like predictability. So as much as people say they're looking for something new, part of being able to know what genre a film is is because we want to know what to expect from that film. So if I say it's a buddy comedy movie, you have a set of expectations going into that film. When I yeah. say someone's a romantic comedy, you have a set of expectations. So this is where us deciding clinically whether something is a rom-com is different than me saying, oh, it's a rom-com to someone else. I'm trying to communicate an overall feeling to a person, not a specific set of check boxes. Did it yeah. get this? Did it not? Right? Yeah. That's what we use genres to do. And obviously we do this for fun. I Are think you in order me? I'm making millions. <laughs> <laughs> I think as a part of it, you know, we like to determine whether they're romantic comedies because I do believe that to a certain extent, romantic comedies should be driven by romance. Yeah. Otherwise, I would say it's a comedy romance. I would put yeah. comedy first if the romance really isn't what's at the forefront of the film. 
but yeah, that's that's essentially what genres are. And back to what I'm saying about things being groundbreaking, there are so many films that at the time they came out were laughed at. And then 25, 30 years later, film students are studying them because they were the first to do this. The films that are taking risks, the art that takes risks and pushes boundaries, most of the time are not given their due in the time that they arrive onto the scene. It's usually much later that we're recognizing them and giving them props for doing those things because we don't like it. We don't like it when things change. So if you tell me it's a thriller, but it does something that the genre usually doesn't do, it subverts something too much, a lot of people are going to be uncomfortable with that. And when we're uncomfortable with something, we generally just say it's bad because we don't know how to articulate why. And so the fact that I read all of these reviews of this film and they all, whether they were giving it a good score or a bad score, were essentially saying the same thing to me really speaks to the fact that there are just folks that believe that the only thing valuable is ingenuity. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I would argue that those people a lot of the times won't recognize ingenuity, true ingenuity. Yeah. When it's staring them in the face. Well, I think also with movies like this, this is a movie that is pointedly not taking itself seriously. And so the idea of having a, and I mean, fuck, this whole podcast is us taking a critical lens to the movies that we're watching. But I also don't think that we're necessarily the dicks who would take a critical lens to a movie like this. You know, this is this is just not it's not the place to do something like that. And it's not well, the movie. To me, if this is truly if truly what you're saying is a negative about this film is that it's not very in- imaginative, then the rating should have been to me middle of the road. You should yeah. just say it's a mediocre movie. Like it does what it sets out to do, but it's not breaking any molds, it's not wowing me. Mm-hmm. Instead, I don't know. It's sometimes I just feel like people want to be mad because the scores for this to me says there's something really wrong. Like it had pacing issues, which I don't think it did. It no. like there was something wrong either in the form, in the performance, in the content. Something was wrong. And I don't think anything was wrong. I just don't think anything was earth-shattering about this film. I think this is just a film for you to laugh and have a good time. And I think that it accomplishes that. I don't think it has to do anything more. Sometimes comedies can. I'm not trying to, I don't want to shit on the comedy genre. I think there are comedies that can say a lot about something. They can be boundary pushing and earth shattering. And you can walk out of a film having laughed a lot, but also thought a lot about a particular issue. But I don't think every comedy has to do that. And I think it's okay to like something just because it made you laugh we should want to indulge in laughter to bring it back to this movie she says ladies don't indulge in laughter then uh, hannah's character says but laughter is one of the most beautiful parts of life let yourself laugh for the most part nothing in this film was punching down 
there were a couple of things that gave me pause, but for the most part, I thought that the the comedy was good. It was making jokes that I felt good about laughing at. Yeah. You know, obviously, I didn't love the sage smudging. This film is not the only film to do that. Sage smudging is a closed indigenous practice, and we in Hollywood use it as shorthand for ridding a space of spirits, which is just cultural appropriation. I'm not the first person to say this, and I'm not going to spend time on it. But anyway, so there were things like that in the movie that I'm like, ugh. But they weren't pronounced enough that I... I'm not trying to give this movie a pass, but this is not the only movie to do that. So I, you know. Also, alternatively, you can use rosemary, uh, cinnamon, and or um, you could use garden sage. That's very abundant. Um, If, you know, that's if that's your prerogative, that's just something. Um, I think the other issue, too, is this movie, the main characters are two women who are openly crass and are not in isolation and are not isolated for their actions. Justin, I mean, Melanie Linsky's character is, as we've established, an absolute hot mess. And Justin Long still finds her attractive, still finds her interesting, you know, still entertains her as a romantic interest. Tanner entertains her as a sexual interest. And usually when you have women in comedy whose purpose is to be pointedly crass or crude, they are isolated as the character as the character who does that, and they are often isolated and judged by the group around them. Of course, Judy Greer's character judges Melanie Linsky's character for how crude she is, but she's doing it on the basis of treating her again, like, like a naughty child. You know, she's being unladylike. She's not adhering to a set of social standards that she would expect from a woman, but her instinct is not to isolate her. Her instinct is to teach her to do better. And my mind just keeps jumping back to Melissa McCarthy characters because that's you know the funny woman or um I think another movie that you see sort of like this is Bridesmaids for instance or Wine Country which is also you know a Maya Rudolph flick I think might have Kristen Wiig in it either way it's that same kind of vibe But you still have other women within that film that are judging the women who are being crude. But I think that this, I I don't even want to say it's a perfect example, but in a lot of ways, I think what I find somewhat refreshing about this in the context of it being a buddy comedy movie is that these women are allowed to be real, for lack of a better word, in a way that I don't think women generally are. As you're saying, I think women are often reprimanded for being crude. Mm -hmm. And in here, we have the friction of the two, one of whom is very proper and adheres to a certain set of societal expectations on what a lady is. And there's this other character, and for as much of a mess as she is, 
she is still allowed to exist. And at the same time, she doesn't have to completely change by the end of the film for us to like her. Like we find her funny. Yes, sometimes we're laughing at her at the beginning. But even the end, I don't think she's radically changed. Mm -mm. She's allowed to be a sexual being. She's allowed to be a human that farts and has diarrhea. What? And I've is a never woman. Done either so of those things. she's a sexual being, but she's not just a sexual object. Right. So I don't know. Again, not the only film that does this, but I do think, in the context of it being a buddy comedy, this is not something I've seen before, but I'm not an expert on buddy comedy. So I'm not saying this dynamic hasn't been done in some other film. Is that because it's not a genre that you generally engage with often? Or is it because all of the other ones that you can think of off the top of your head are male-centric? Possibly. I'm not going to rule it out. If you see enough of something, you know. Yeah. So, I'm, again, not saying this is an earth-shattering movie. But, might I propose that we're mad that it's doing the same buddy comedy things, but we're not ready for buddy comedies to be women. I want to put on record here that this movie is better than Wedding Crashers, and I'll fist fight anyone who says otherwise. Square up. (laughs) I don't feel like anyone's demeaned as a token. They're not representing a group. They're not standing in for a group and being ridiculed. Instead, the people... Well, I guess that's not totally true. Tanner kind of does stand in for... But you know what? That's punching up. I was about to say, do you mind if we tokenize a privileged white asshole? I don't. I don't mind at all. So in terms of watchability, then, how does this how does this rank for you? Your rewatchability score for this especially? I think first watch, I would give it a 4.5. I think it's a really wow. watchable movie. It's okay. a fun, it's a fun watch. Rewatchability, I probably would laugh at a lot of the same things, but I do think its luster goes away just because I know what's going to happen. Yeah. I'm not, you know, and I, like I said, I went into this movie not knowing anything about it. I think I might have read the Amazon blurb that said a Southern Belle was going to teach modern woman to act like a lady. And I was like, Okay, I guess this could, but this wasn't the movie I necessarily expected when I walked in. I was, I didn't, I had never seen a trailer. I didn't know what the jokes were going to be like. I didn't know how the comedy was going to come across. Uh, So I think first watch, solid 4.5. I think it's a very watchable movie. Rewatchability, probably a 3.5, probably goes down a point. I, you know, but I don't think that's bad. I, I think that really speaks to the fact that yeah, it's your run-of-the-mill comedy, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to laugh at the jokes. Yeah. I I don't think any of it is tired. There's a difference between it being unimaginative and being tired. Mm -hmm. I think you can still laugh at these jokes. You're not rolling your eyes at them. Yeah. I think I would probably give this one a four for first watch. Probably a 4.5 if you're really into, like, the buddy comedy genre. I think that would probably bump it up. And then in terms of rewatchability, I'd probably station it at a 3. Unless, in the spirit of the movie, you've packed a bowl and lit that bowl on fire and inhaled it. Then it's back to a 4. But we don't condone drug use on this podcast if it's not legal in your state. (laughs) 
So, it's a disclaimer. We don't encourage drug use. We don't encourage, especially amongst minors and those who cannot lawfully possess or use it. But that being said, yeah, I, you know, here's the thing. If there's anything that you should know about me, it's that I am very much a law-abiding citizen. And I didn't talk on the last episode about open container drinking and non-open container drinking areas. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Well, Chelsea, um, this was a listener request. I think that listener did great. I'm really glad we didn't shit on it like the last one. Otherwise, I'd fear that people would just stop asking us. Well, no, we've done another since the first one that we really shat on. We rated it positively. So this is actually, we're actually two for three, which is like killer baseball standards. I mean, we're in the Hall of Fame with this. Knocked it out of the park. Is that enough baseball analogies? I really only know anything about baseball from a league of their own. Um, so. Uh, yep. Same. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and not the, not the uh, Tom Hanks, Madonna. Maybe if women actually played baseball, I'd pay attention. You know, you say that, um, and I would agree because the only sport that I'm really genuinely interested in is uh, roller derby, which is almost exclusively uh, women. Um, yeah, it's mostly women, some some non-binary folk, uh, mostly women, and it's great. I love it. And actually, I was talking about going to see roller derby on February 11th, which I don't know. Will this come out before then? If not, I had a great time at roll. I had a great time at roller derby on February eleventh. <laughs> um, but my, I was talking about it with my grandmother. I said, "Oh, because my mom was like, oh, we can put together this cabinet that I bought. You'll, you can help me put together this cabinet that I bought.'" And I was like, "I'm so glad I volunteered myself to help you put together this cabinet that we're just talking about now." But we were talking about that. I was like, "Oh, well, actually, I do have plans that evening. I'm going to go to roller derby." And my grandmother was like. I want to go to roller derby. Take your grandmother to roller derby, Madison. And it's incredible because this is a woman who was very, very posh, very um, pristine my whole life growing up. And then she got a tattoo, I think, when she turned 65 for Mother's Day. And it's a small pink and purple butterfly on her ankle. But let me tell you, once she got that one single tattoo, it's like the windows opened in her soul. Now she's super, super cool. So, I mean, she was cool before, but now she's really cool. So we're going to go see roller derby. Um, by the time you're listening to this, we went and saw roller derby and we had a really good time. I'll update you when that actually happens for me. You're listening to past me. I'm listening you... to present you. That's so unfortunate. I'm so <laughs> sorry for you. I can't stand that bitch. She has an inbox full of emails and she needs to fucking answer them. She has an offer of settlement that she needs to draft. Well, if you want to write in and let us know what we should watch next time, um, and by next time, I mean the next time that we include a listener request, then you can either... DM us on Instagram at love at first screening, or you can write us an email at uh, love at first screening at gmail.com. And speaking of our Instagram, every week we have a poll that asks hard hitting, ground breaking questions like which Kate Blanchett 
do you want to look at? The one in a suit? The one in the jumpsuit? I'm sorry. All of the above. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to look at every Kate Blanchett. Great. But only if um, she allows me to and only in a respectful manner. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we're respectful in this house. So just to wrap everything up, uh, so you can be informed about what we're watching next time. Next time you should watch Monster-in-Law from 2005 featuring J-Lo and Jane Fonda. That's my PSA. Watch it and then tune in. Or just tune in. You don't have to watch it. I'll summarize it for you. Well, once again, we are Love It for Screening here every Wednesday talking about all the rom-coms you love love to hate and everything in between so until next time